1: And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. So if you've been listening to AI Today podcast for a while, welcome back. We really appreciate all of our fantastic listeners. But if you're new to the AI Today podcast, this is your first episode, we'd like you to know that there's hundreds of episodes that we've been producing over the last four years on with, that have everything from great interviews with AI thought leaders and insights into the AI market trends and adoption in public and private sectors, and actually we'll be doing one of those uh, insights into the AI market trends on this podcast episode, um, but also conversations on key topics and what's happening with AI Today and in the future. So over our past four years and almost 200 episodes, we've interviewed some incredible AI influencers so we encourage you to go back and listen to a lot of these episodes we have episodes interviewing folks like Ben Gertzel of SingularityNet and the Sophia Robot Colin Angle from founder of iRobot Anthony Scrifignano from Dunn & Bradstreet Igor Perisic from LinkedIn Suzette Kent the former U.S. federal CIO the Jose Arieta CIO former CIO of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Lord Tim Clement-Jones key people at organizations large and small and lots more so uh Definitely subscribe to the AI Today podcast uh, so that you can basically hear our insights on AI and the cognitive technology markets and how different industries are applying AI, emerging concepts in AI and machine learning, and just in general, long story short, if you want to understand how AI is being put into practice today, which is why this is called AI Today, and (laughs) where it's heading, (laughs) make sure to subscribe to AI Today on your favorite podcast provider and listen to our hundreds of episodes.
0: Yes. So, you know, as Ron mentioned today, we wanted to spend some time talking about our 2021 AI market predictions and forecasts. At the beginning of every year, we always, you know, take a step back and look at what happened over the past year and where we see things going moving forward. So at Cognolytica, in case this is your first podcast or you're just starting to listen to us, we're an AI-focused research, education, and advisory firm, and we really focus on market intelligence. We cover all, over 20,000 vendors in the AI space, so we have a great pulse of what's going on, and we work with both public and private sector companies, so we you know, really have a holistic view of the space. So we wanted to spend some time today reflecting back on what we're seeing in the market and then making some predictions and forecasts about where the AI market will go in 2021. So, one of the first predictions that we have, and these are not in any sort of ranking order, they're just how we laid out this podcast. So we have that worldwide adoption of artificial intelligence and machine learning. We've seen it growing at a you know, very high rate, and we're predicting that this is not going to stop anytime soon,
1: yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of indications that show that we are moving towards much more use of what we call the seven patterns of AI, and we will link to them in the show notes. But, one of the things about AI is that it is a fairly generic term, general term, which roughly corresponds to making machines intelligent and doing the things that humans would otherwise do. But when you ask people as to what they're specifically doing, it's usually going to be one or more of these seven patterns. So it might be a recognition system, or it could be a conversational system, or it could be something doing predictive analytics or trying to find patterns or anomalies, or it could be trying to develop the hyper personal profile, the hyper personalization profile of you so that it can know to tailor things better for your needs. Or it could be an autonomous system, systems that are meant to operate with little or no human interaction. Or perhaps we're doing something where we're trying to have machines find the solution to something, you know, goal-driven systems. And when you talk about it from that perspective, it's like, yeah, chatbots are growing. Recognition systems are growing. The use of machine learning for patterns and anomaly detection, as well as predictive analytics, that's growing. You know, maybe hyper personal maybe that's been a little bit slower to grow. We are definitely seeing a lot more autonomous stuff, whether or not they're all entirely successful is a whole other story. But we are, and we're seeing, of course, a lot more use of even goal-driven systems. And part of the reason why we say this is that there is some FUD in the market. Uh, You know, other analyst firms in particular are saying that they're seeing some, you know, large number of data science projects that are failing. You know, Gartner says 87% of data science projects fail to Deliver on their for their executive sponsors, and 70% of machine learning models lose relevancy over time. Well, these are there's some truth to that. Yes, models do have what's called drift. And then later, what we're gonna talk about in this podcast is the growth of a technology area, a technology market with an AI called MLOps that specifically addresses this area of models that over time lose their relevancy. But that's just like the same – that's like saying, well, I built an app in 1996, therefore I need to update it in the year 2003, 2008, 2013, 2018. Yeah, Yes, that's what technology – technology doesn't stand still to say, oh, the fact that you have to update it means it's not successful. Like, no, the fact that you have to update it means you're actually using it and the needs for that. Continue to grow. If you didn't care, you just throw it away. So um, a lot of the, this, this, these analyst firms are, I think, struggling. Honestly, a lot of other analyst firms struggle to understand AI. And now we're we're, we're fluffing our own feathers here. You know, we believe we understand this market better than a lot of other people. There are analysts out there, let's say from Forrester, who who misunderstand the entire size of the AI market and undersize it. And later we're going to provide a little proof. Well, actually, here we'll talk about some proof that there are some significant. Deals out there, and if you just add up these deals, they're they're coming up to huge numbers, right?
0: Exactly, you know. And when you look at some of these deals individually, they are quite large. But when you look at them as a whole, you know that really just shows the rate of growth for this market and how it is just not stopping. So, you know, we've seen some deals. There was one deal that was recently announced, especially, you know, these are our large government deals. Um, There was a a deal with uh, Scale.ai. They are a data labeling company, and they had a deal for $90 million with the uh, U.S. government. So that's quite a large deal in and of itself. But then uh, very, very recently, if you're listening to this podcast, we're recording it in January 2021, so in January 2021, a company named ai.revery had a 900, they were awarded a $950 million deal with the government. Now, those two deals alone, I mean, that's massive. That one deal, honestly, that one deal All alone right. is so massive that we are saying, Forester just cannot be right in their predictions. I mean, there is no way with just those two deals and that one deal specifically, that the market is as small as they are predicting it to be.
1: Right. I mean, unless you want to construe the market for AI being very narrow. But then I think we are missing sort of like the forest for the trees, as it were, because we're missing sort of like the big picture here. You could say, like, well, cloud computing, you know, is tiny because if you look at, you know, just you know, cloud storage or just like, you know, the use of, of cloud resources, then maybe. Maybe if you add up those dollars, they're not as big. It's like, yes, that may be true. But the shift, the movement toward away from, you know, uh, on-premise computing to cloud computing was a significant and transformative change that really shifted a lot of dollars that might have been gone from one bucket into another bucket. Even if you might say, "Well, eighty percent of what these a- these AI projects they're not really doing AI; they're doing maybe data analysis and data cleansing and data prep." You're like, "Yes, but it's like it's all for that purpose." And I think I think you know you know analysts we're going to disagree. That's what we do. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, but you know, as our prediction for twenty twenty one is that this you know these. These huge deals need to work their way through the pipeline. And as a result, um, we're just seeing continued investment. I mean, like, you know, heck, you know, Microsoft themselves threw a billion dollars into GPT-3. So they're throwing a billion dollars just into one thing. You like, well, that's not AI. I'm like, what are you talking about? That of course that's AI. <laughs> GPT-3 <laughs> is nothing but AI. And you might right. say, well, that doesn't count for revenue. I'm like, well, you know, it counts for revenue for somebody. It's a license deal. So Long story short, when you add up, you know, billions of dollars, they add up over time, and and so you know, we believe, you know, our prediction was well over 120 billion dollars in market size for AI by the year 2025. And we might actually be underestimating it, so we're gonna we're gonna definitely keep a, a close eye on on that market size and give you guys updates here, in this podcast as we make those updates.
0: Exactly, and then in addition to to all that, another trend that we've been seeing with worldwide adoption is that. Um, many, many countries now are getting into the game. So it's not just large first world countries that are getting into the game. Almost every single country is thinking about or has implemented and announced an AI strategy. So, you know, with that, that means that adoption is only going to continue to grow and that the need is going to be there if, you know, now even small countries are saying, "Hey, AI is so important. We need to be getting into the game. We need to be thinking about this. We need to have an AI strategy to move forward." Mm-hmm. So, one of those
1: those things that's pointing to the to these markets being large is the platform providers are themselves starting to to grow and become pretty large. There's a couple of companies that were. You know, mere startups, if you will, like just a couple mm-hmm. years ago that are starting to broaden their platform. Maybe they only did one thing, like maybe machine learning development or they had like a, a note, data science notebook or maybe they invented auto ML or helped develop it or something like that. But all these these companies now have raised a significant amount of money. Uh, many of them are unicorns, so-called unicorns. And so as a result, we're seeing this continued expansion of what these machine learning platforms are doing. You know, now they're doing data prep and now they're doing, you know, machine learning ops. They're doing the, the sort of soup to nuts, you know, end-to-end machine learning model management. And this is part of what's actually accelerating, um, not just the uh, consolidation of the machine learning market. You know, these these they're, they're acquiring each other and they're raising money and they're acquiring smaller firms um but also it's accelerating the adoption of ai because a lot of these tools are making it easier for for organizations to implement ai that you don't need a huge data science team you don't need to like go right from raw data to you know iterating models if you don't have that expertise a lot of these companies will say you don't need that expertise just you know use our tools use our AutoML capability use our capabilities and we will we will basically accelerate that which again goes to the previous point which is that if the tools are making it easier to adopt and implement ai solutions this is always this is always the issue with ai because once we make the system smart you're like that's not ai anymore right. but, like, but like you know machine learning powered predictive analytics how large do you think the market will be if i we don't necessarily know this in advance but like it's pretty easy to guess as a forecast that a tool like microsoft excel will include machine learning powered predictive analytics because it's really easy to highlight a whole bunch of cells and say, "Here, make a prediction for what the value would be and put it in column X," you know? Yeah. Is that machine is that AI? It certainly looks to us like AI. How large will the market be when you turn every Excel power user into a machine learning model developer, right? That that's kind of right. where we are with 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 the tools.
0: And that's where things start to get a little tricky because how do you then start to explain the market and make predictions on actually how big it can become and where do you start defining, you know, and breaking down, okay, well, I'll count this and not that. So, you know, we also said now that there are new tools to help optimize machine learning and help companies who may not have that expertise. On this podcast, we talk a lot about how there's a talent crunch. And so if companies are not able to hire that talent, but we're saying that they need to use artificial intelligence and machine learning in order to stay relevant and help move forward and, you know, outpace their competition, then how can they do that? And we've started to see these, these tools and platforms enabling companies to move forward, even if they don't have large technical teams that are able to do this.
1: Exactly. So, um, you know, we predict uh, there's, there's definitely going to be an IPO or two, maybe three <laughs> <laughs> in 2021. Nobody can predict 2021. Nobody could predict have predicted 2020, let me tell you that. But um, but it's a pretty safe prediction, I would say, to say that one or more of these firms that are, that are becoming major machine learning platform providers will probably go public and uh, attract a lot of attention. You know, this, that's what's happened in the RPA space. So and we predicted that RPA consolidation. So that's going to definitely happen here. You know, sort of like as a side note, uh, it is worth talking about the the major. What we call the major platform providers, the the incumbents, the the folks who were, were honestly really pretty early into the um, AI space in this last wave. And I'm not talking about from the fifties and sixties; <laughs> that would be really early. I'm talking about or even
0: the eighties and nineties. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this last current wave,
1: exactly. Like the the big data powered wave of of AI, right? um the d- the deep learning wave you know that that whatever you want to call this last wave um and you know there's no doubt you know companies like amazon companies like google and microsoft and even ibm which was one of the first ibm was one of the first entrants with watson um mm-hmm. they are they are still maintaining heavy heavy dominance but if you looked at these big deals this is the weird part about this market those are not the companies that are that are necessarily winning the big deals. Now, of course, there's a lot of stuff happening behind the uh, you know behind here. We don't know if a lot of these big deals are powered by these these platform providers. There's no way to know, and we would have to take a look at it. But I do want to say it's curious to see which vendors are not being particularly noticeable in the space. We are not seeing a lot of Oracle, we're not seeing a lot of SAP. You know, that there's no doubt they're doing stuff and maybe you're listening to the to this podcast you're saying, "What are you guys talking about? We're doing stuff here." But but the dominance, it's sort of like the traditional enterprise uh a, you know vendor dominance is not the same in the AI marketplace i think that makes it really very interesting if you're a startup you're an emerging tech company listening to this podcast Um, you have just as much a shot, honestly, of capturing, you know, big deals. Uh, Honestly, some of these companies that won these deals are like, who the heck are they? You know, why are they winning these deals? So I would say, you know, one of our things is that the the AI has democratized um, access, if you will, to large companies, Um, you know, both large enterprises and governments are much more open, I would say, to working with emerging technology companies in this um, space. Uh, so I think I think that's it. I mean, is this the way that people thought it would work? You know, uh, is is this? The, did people think that the AI space would basically be a con- continuation of the cloud market? Well, if you mm-hmm. asked Amazon, that's probably what they would say. Like, yeah, I mean, we have cloud dominance, therefore we should have AI dominance. But that's not. It doesn't really look like that's necessarily the the case with with that.
0: You, with how people thought that it, I think it would turn out, I don't think so either. I mean, I think you know, especially back in the early days, I don't think people thought that it maybe would be powered this way. Looking back at past waves, I mean, it was you know governments and then large organizations who were powers uh, in the in that space, right? It, you know you. Back in the '80s and '90s, early '90s, especially, it was hard to, you know, have small startups in this space. Now I think it's a lot easier, and we've seen a lot of a lot of startups emerge. Uh, you know, we cover twenty thousand vendors in the space, so there's a lot of AI companies, but the large players are still leading, and we don't see that going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as Ron mentioned, even with Microsoft, they heavily invested in GPT-3. So what does Microsoft have in mind with that? What is their ultimate end goal? Why did they invest so much money in, um, they didn't invest it specifically in GPT-3, they invested it in open AI, but they created GPT three, right. so you know what is their end goal there.
1: Yeah, good nuance. So you know, we we are going to keep an eye on that. I think you know our prediction for twenty twenty one is, of course, you know AI, AWS, Google, Microsoft are going to continue to stay relevant. I I would um, I would basically argue that I think IBM's going to be less relevant. I know, I know. Uh, you know
0: what? We started to see IBM be less relevant. I mean, I think that we're going to predict they're going to become even less relevant. We don't see them being talked about nearly as much as we did in the past, and then they've had some, you know, bloopers in the news with some of their uh, IBM Watson mm-hmm. uh, AI rollouts. So.
1: We'll have to see about yeah. that. You know, um, but, but I think, you know, the, the little corner, there are some hot spots in the market. You know, this is going to talking a little bit about emerging technology companies, MLOps. We talked, mentioned it a few times now. If you're not familiar with MLOps, we have actually a few podcast episodes talking about what that is. But the idea is that the machine learning model itself is a living, breathing, it's a, well, maybe not literally, but it, it's a thing that, <laughs> that, that that must continue to evolve because data changes and the models change and over time models that might have performed well in one circumstance perform less well. And just there's just a lot of other things you need to do with the models. You need to deploy them in many different s- situations. Maybe you want to have multiple versions of a model mm-hmm. working at the same time. You have to deal with like all these issues of, of governance and security. And so this has emerged this whole area of uh, called MLOps. And a year ago, I don't think very many people were talking about MLOps at all. Now it's like just like the constant chatter in, in the uh, machine learning market.
0: Exactly. Back in 2020, Cognolytica released an MLOps report. And in 2021, we are releasing one in um, early Q1 of 2021. And I think that, you know, in general, the companies were saying, okay, I need to bring machine learning into my organization. I need to figure out what to do. And now they're saying, okay, it's here. How do I effectively manage this? And I think that the market has become more educated in general. And I think that the companies, we've started to see some new companies come into the space as well. So, you know, we we've seen it getting hot. And then because it's getting hot, we've also seen some consolidation, and we're predicting that there's way more consolidation to come.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Another market that was that was really hot in, in 2019, actually, and became much hotter mm-hmm. in 2020 and it just continues to accelerate is the whole data labeling and annotation space. And if you're not familiar with data labeling and annotation, it really is the human side of AI, which is that in order for a machine to learn something, someone has to basically teach it. This is especially the case with supervised learning. So if you're doing any sort of uh, task that requires training a machine to, say, recognize you know, images or, or do any sort of... of, of Uh, you know, tagging something to say, oh, this is a contract or an invoice or this is a specific kind of medical document or, you know, "I'm, I'm looking at this image or I'm looking at this video and I want to predict that, oh, this is somebody picking something off of a store shelf. There's lots and lots and lots of examples of supervised learning. And actually, a lot of this last wave of AI has been powered by these massive advancements in supervised learning, the capabilities of deep learning. And, and how it's enabled those things. But to make uh, supervised learning works, you have to, you still have to train the machine and we haven't yet figured out what's called, um, you know, zero, um, you know, uh, z- a zero, zero
0: shot or one shot. Yeah. Zero yeah. shot
1: learning. Yeah, exactly. We haven't figured out these like low shot learning things where you can just give it one or two or no examples and somehow the machine through the use of, of other techniques can, can figure it out. So, so especially as we start moving AI to more niche corners of the market, you know, uh, systems that need to have you know, have chatbots that speak, you know, you know all sorts of different languages and need to understand terminology and let's say you know languages like Thai or you know uh, more uh, languages that are more 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 niche but still have a large community. Someone has to you know train these machines and and so the need for data labeling is still extremely hot.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we can't say, well, you know, we can do it in English. Sorry, no other language accepted. Or only right. the top five spoken languages. <laughs> you know, at some point you're going to say, nope, that's not acceptable anymore. So, you know, as Ron mentioned, there is still a very human human side of AI and data labeling. So we're expecting, you know, back in 2019, Cognitica was one of the only uh, analyst firms that was cover- covering the data labeling space. And honestly, we still are one of the only analysts. firms that are very deeply covering this space. We've produced uh, reports for the past two years and we're having an updated report come out in 2021. We continue to see new entrants in this space. Um, More companies continue to go into this market and maybe some that were on the um, periphery of data labeling are now moving in and becoming uh, more of a traditional data labeling company and offering those um services. So we're expecting to see some real industry leaders emerging because of this. There's been some incredibly large deals. As we mentioned earlier, there was a 90 million dollar contract awarded to scale.ai and they that was a government contract but they are it was for data labeling. So, you know, there's still a need, it still exists. There's been some really large deals. So, we're expecting that um This space is not going away anytime soon, but we are expecting that there will be some consolidation in the space and we're really going to start to see just a few leaders emerging and the smaller companies will most likely get absorbed and um, no longer operate independently.
1: So shifting gears a little bit, you know, one of the things that we spent some time looking at uh, in 2020, and we're definitely going to dig a lot deeper in 2021, is looking at uh, laws and regulations, the emerging landscape of laws and regulations worldwide uh, mm-hmm. for AI. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think we're starting to see, this is kind of, you know, the thing about laws and regulations is that it's a it's a thing for people, right? <laughs> it's not a thing for <laughs> machines, right? Machines don't care about laws, right? Machines will do whatever you tell the machines to do, even if they're they become super intelligent. Hopefully, they will do what we want them to do. Uh, but, but in any case, you know, really, you know, it's those laws and regulations are here to either uh, prevent bad actors from doing bad things, or prevent uh, even good actors from from their systems being used in ways that they should not be used, or or just protect people and their privacy. Or, or, you know, there's lots of reasons for these rules and regulations. I think the biggest thing we're starting to see now. This is this is sort of again, a lot of it has to do with sort of like where people are, I guess, not philosophically, but just kind of like where they they are with their thinking process, right? You know, uh, nobody really had any thoughts at all about data privacy until, until like, in the last five years when people realized, like, oh, you know, there was that Cambridge Analytica scandal thing with Facebook selling your private data to somebody else who was targeting you. And people are like, I don't think I like that. I'm like, well, you probably didn't even realize that your data was being used and shared that way. And people are now starting to realize a lot of those same issues around AI, where they're like, what do people think about facial recognition? Are they for it? Maybe they're starting to, maybe that pendulum is starting to swing. As a matter of fact, um, you know, despite what people might, might your personal thoughts are about, you know, anything that's happening in the world right now, the the election, things like that, you know, um, the big tech firms, so-called big tech firms, have made some pretty substantial responses lately, but even before they were responding to specific concerns about individuals, we had algorithms out there and we're starting to see a lot of reports of sort of these algorithms kind of, and these are not necessarily even AI algorithms or machine learning algorithms. They may just be like, you know, rules in a database. But a lot of algorithms that where people are saying, this is not right for, you know, my my Gmail account to be shut down, my YouTube account to be shut down, maybe some thing that I posted on on some social media thing got flagged, or and we're seeing reports from like, you know, you know, algorithms gone bad and 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 there's no real way to get a hold of these big tech companies. And so the question is, will laws and regulations kind of step in here now and push that pendulum the other way, away from uh, you know uh, more of the of the free reign of of companies to do these things with with AI systems, and that's the biggest question. You know, autonomous vehicles. Everybody was so gung ho about them. Are we still gung ho about them? Right? You know.
0: Right. You know, another thing, and we've talked about this in some previous podcasts, that laws and regulations lag behind technology. So you know, in in some some ways that makes sense because you don't want to create laws and then have the technology come. People will just find workarounds. And also you want to see the way that the technology is actually being used, adopted, implemented, and then, you know, build laws around that. One thing we always point to is the use of cell phones and cars with driving. You know, it took many years before hands-free driving was A law and that you could actually, you know, get a ticket for it. For many years, people were just distracted drivers (laughs) with talking on their cell phone. Um, They still may be distracted, but now they're not allowed to at least be holding the phone. So, you know we have to be mindful of how these technologies are going to be used and then understand that laws and regulations will take a little bit of time around that but another thing that we're really seeing is with ethics around artificial intelligence and bias in ai and data sets these continue to be hot topics of discussion maybe you know too hot almost where they're being talked about but what are people actually doing to implement things so um we're going to just i think it's going to continue to be hot topics of discussion i know back at our data for ai conference it was the ethics around ai was so hot we actually had two panels on it one a government focused and then one a private industry focused panel just to talk about what people are doing how they're thinking about it what they're doing when they're when they're building systems how do you build ethical ai what do you you know what approaches do you take what questions do you need to ask so i mean there are conversations around it but you know at what point are we going to say, okay, we need to have laws and regulations that actually make everybody on the same ethical level. So mm-hmm. in 2021, you know, we've started to see it. Um, will we see an AI backlash? Will we see people or maybe, uh, AI companies backlashes to them where we're saying, Hey, you know, hold on a minute. I mean, Cambridge Analytica, um, Took a big a big blow with what happened with Facebook, but should Facebook have taken more of of a hit than they actually did? Will we see this backlash?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you point to like very recent news here. You know, uh, when people don't have transparency into systems, people come up with their own theories, and you know, the the typical person doesn't have necessarily the technical expertise to know why something happened here. So, if, for example in the US, uh, we have a lot of um, electronic voting machines and people have called into question one company in particular, so they're making all these uh, claims about a company called Dominion, which has a voting machine system. The thing about it is like, you know, maybe Dominion did things perfectly fine. The problem is, is that, when you, when you have this lack of, of transparency and you don't really know what's happening, and maybe for good reason, maybe maybe for security reasons, they want to tell you how, how things are, are happening, it causes people to come up with their own ideas. And unfortunately, or for better or for worse, you know, these companies are, are going to get massively penalized. People are going to be like, don't ever use this company. Don't ever use that company. Don't ever, you know, don't trust the systems that made by this company. Don't trust the systems made by that company. And this will, it's very hard to get over that. I mean, even Boeing had this issue, right? They had uh, their MAX 7 they had a couple of very notable crashes caused in part by an algorithmic decision-making system, right? And that caught. Now they've they've hopefully fixed it and put it back. But the thing is, like, how long will it take for people to be like? If you are on a plane, that's a max plane. Will you will you have that little thought in the back of your head going? <laughs>
0: I, 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 I know. Do you want to get on that plane? I don't know. Right. Er. <laughs> it,
1: it's very hard. It's really very hard to recover a reputation like that. So 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 one of the things. So we're keeping a very close eye on the back. We do predict that there will be some form of backlash against. Uh, algorithmic systems, AI systems, in the year twenty twenty one, probably pushing some sort of um, legislation around the world. Maybe not in the US; could be in Europe. It could be in any of a number of places. So, so we are going to keep an eye on that and see what if the temperature <laughs> around <laughs> yeah. around AIs is changing. Um, so, let's talk a, l- a little bit about some some markets that we think um, are really not so hot. You know, the things where yeah. where people were super hot about, but. I don't know. Going into twenty twenty one, these these markets are not looking very good right now. Um, right. So let's start with uh, our good old voice assistant market. What do you think?
0: Yeah. So back a few years ago, Cognolytica, you know, as everybody was, we said, okay, you know, voice assistants are really coming out. They're hitting the market strong. Let's see what's going on. Uh, voice has come a long way. From its early days. And, you know, we had companies like Amazon and Google, Microsoft, uh, Samsung really investing in this. And we said, all right, where's it gonna go? Let's see what's happening. And for two years, Cognolytica did a voice assistant benchmark where we um, you know, took the four major platforms and said, let's test them against each other and let's test them on uh, different categories of questions. So we had general knowledge questions. We had understanding and reasoning. We had, um, you know, various different different categories. And we encourage you to check that out if you haven't. We have done podcasts on that and we also um, had uh, reports on that as well. One was for free and available so that you could look at it. And you could do your own assessments as well. So you know this was a benchmark. And so we understand that they were supposed to improve and get smarter and, and better over time. So we wanted other people to be testing this as well and have it be very transparent. So we had all the questions that we asked and the scores that it got and the dates that we did it. So that in case you know you you did this a few months from when we initially did it or even a year or two from when we initially did it, we understand that hopefully it would be able to start being able to answer more questions. We stopped doing the benchmark because we realized that these systems weren't being adopted or performing the way that people expected. So we said, you know what? We're not gonna do the voice assistant benchmark anymore because these systems just aren't fully understanding. They were all still failing. And we've seen some, you know, Microsoft pulled out of the device market itself. So, Cortana is no longer available as a device. And I think that people were saying, you know, we're going to start seeing this in the workplace. We're going to... Uh, it's going to change things. It's going to be really an assistant, right? And it's going to sit next to me at a desk or it's going to be in a conference room and it's really going to take shape. Well, a few things happened. There's voice authentication issues that they haven't really fully figured out. And also COVID happened. And now we have a work from home environment. And so people are not in the office anymore. And so no longer will it sit next to you. Maybe you have it in your home, but this isn't really connected to work. And so we've just started to see a big shift and honestly, a slowdown in the market. And I don't think that It has picked up nearly as much adoption as people were expecting it to.
1: Yeah, no, this is not to say that voice interfaces are going to go away. I'm like, no, I mean, voice interfaces, People like talking to things. People, you know, you you you'll see, you'll be in your
0: good, a good, um, you know, point to bring up. We're not saying voice in general is going away.
1: Right. It's just that the this growth of you know these little hockey pucks that sit on your desk (laughs) and do something useful. (laughs) um, You know, it's 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 like. First of all, this actually does go back to to the last Last point, which is that like you know people's sort of personal perception of of AI now is st- starting to shift towards a little bit of mistrust, not necessarily because of the systems, but because of the companies behind them. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of mistrust, and that actually will have dampened the the sort of enthusiasm for for doing it. For a long time, it seemed like you know you know Amazon or Google were basically just throwing these devices at you to like you know it's like Black Friday here, buy some socks and get a free Alexa. You know, it's like was that kind of, it was <laughs> like all. Almost seemed like that, like okay, all right, you know, they made them so cheap. Um, and you're right. I mean, like pretty much anybody who who really had a desire to have them probably already has one or more now. And and it's just sort of like we're just starting to hit that, like they've sort of hit that plat- the saturation point. And that next inflection requires the adoption of, of some of some new market, which would be the enterprise, right? And and for a lot of reasons, as Kathleen just mentioned, we're just not seeing that. So so I I think. And also the other thing is we have not really seen the growth of an ecosystem for building voice apps on top of these platforms, even though they do exist. It's not like, you know, you are not saying, hey, we you call your banking company, like download our get our Alexa app, you know. Uh, you, they do they a lot of them do have them but the problem of course comes down to voice authentication and these other issues and so it's like it seems it seems like the steam is starting to to let off of of that part of the that part of the market so i think we talked about it enough but we will not be producing a benchmark <laughs> for the voice assistant right. space in 2021 for sure and um you know our point our last point that we made about the benchmark which is that these devices are still fairly dumb um, despite them being called smart speakers, which is not what we call them, um, it's it's still true that by and large they're they're good at um, uh, natural language processing. They're excellent. They know they they're getting really good at detecting what you're saying. And to the extent that they have tasks that can match what you're saying, they do really well. But when you start asking them to do things, these devices to do things that are much more complicated, they still just completely fail. And the work, this is kind of obviously the edge of the capabilities of what AI is capable of. And that is that they're not capable of some of these higher level intelligence capabilities, which makes these devices have limited, uh, limited usefulness, honestly,
0: right? Exactly. Another market, and we have talked about this in numerous podcasts, but another market that we are just like, this is a head scratcher, is the robotics market. So, you know, we've seen uh, some companies raising lots of money and doing very well, and then we've seen other companies go bust, uh, some that were fairly large because they failed to get that next round of funding or really gain adoption into the space. So, you know, one company in particular, they are very good at getting news, mm-hmm. but what exactly are they doing is Boston Dynamics.
1: Yep, so if you haven't so- seen that holiday video, <laughs> which is, uh, now, that, like, now that I can dance, right? It's a really cool little video of the robots, all of the robot, like the whole Boston Dynamics family, the Atlas robots, the Spot robot, their pick and pack robot, I forget the name of it. You know, they're all just dancing there. And they do great things. You know, Boston Dynamics makes these great viral videos. And if you didn't know anything else about Boston Dynamics, you'd be like, they make great viral videos. And I saw a comment. (laughs) This is not my own comment. So I'm stealing this comment from Somebody goes, well, if they want to do something really bold, they would show their robots doing something useful. (laughs) And, you know, there's there's a lot of truth in that little statement, which is like, yeah, we've seen sort of like examples of – of these rope these atlas robots like picking stuff off of like a shelf or doing something but usually it's in the context of watch me try to knock this thing down or or look at how stable it is you know mm-hmm. or or look at how good it is at sort of doing its task it's like yes but show me the company that has implemented any of these robots in any sort of manner that is strategically changing something the only robots that we see that are that are having a, a clear and dynamic impact besides the industrial robots which have been around for decades by the way and they're not intelligent either they're just industrial robots or the cobots which are also not intelligent the only sort of somewhat intelligent robots that are having an impact are the warehouse robots that you know like the the, the the kiva kind the others that like that the warehouse logistics industry have moving uh the shelves around for pick and pack those are clearly i mean if you're in the warehouse business and you're not really thinking about that you probably should but for everybody else it's like these robots are just not showing what value they have and i think that is an issue
0: right you know i mean you look at the spot you look at atlas robot and it's really cool they're walking on terrain they're going up and down steps they're doing backflips all this stuff and you're like wow you are you know a really cool looking robot and you can do all this stuff but then you go, okay, but for my company, how can I apply this? You know, maybe there's military applications and I can see that these robots could go into terrain that they don't want to send humans into and things like that. But for, you know, practical everyday use cases, how are these being adopted? How are these being applied? And I don't think that the company is doing a good job sharing that or having their little viral videos do a good job because it's very cool that they can have some choreographed dance with all their robots. And it's a very, you know, catchy song, but what is it doing? That's actually useful. I'm not sure. So we continue to see that. And in the robotics market, um, you know we we keep a close eye on it because, like we said, there's some companies that just can't get funding and then there's other ones that just create this oh <laughs> this you know viral video and they get in the news. But how are they actually moving the market forward?
1: Yeah, and we really don't want to pick on any one particular company. I, I mean, I, I think that the, I think this is sort of the issue for robotics uh, in general. You have people who are really notable researchers, you know, real, like, you know, I call them minor celebrities in the AI space, you know, like, like Rodney Brooks, these people know their stuff. On, on AI. These are not uh you know random, you know entrepreneurs who raised 100 million dollars for some you know no nothing VC and started some right. company just because no these are people who have been thinking about AI for decades, right? Oh, and yeah. and implementing it for decades, you know, and but but they're all like they're all kind of falling into this trap. I mean, I mean, of course the notable exception being iRobot which has had its its Roomba and its other successful uh, devices, but it, but it really hasn't really been focusing. You don't see videos of Roomba robots dancing. Maybe you do. Maybe I should look for those. But <laughs> 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 but 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 like people know the utility. It's like it's like okay, you're buying it for its utility. You have an autonomous vacuum cleaner. You just set it and you forget it and hopefully it does its job. But I do want to point out the history a little bit about Boston Dynamics because it, I think it's a it's another one of those indications of the of the problems or challenges of this market. I mean, it was founded by somebody out of who, who spun out of MIT, Mark Raybert, really smart guy. You know, uh, they they were doing stuff. Basically, they had military contracts. It's not even uh, you know hidden here. They had military contracts with the Naval Air, Air Warfare Center, and 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 they, they got money from DARPA, but you know the company didn't really sell anything. To like, there was no commercial side of the business. It was basically producing things for the government. You may or may not know this, but Google X, Google, a subsidiary of Alphabet, acquired Boston Dynamics for some unknown price, and they basically ran it until two thousand. They only ran it for about three. They only had it for three years. Three years later, they sold it to SoftBank, you know, for some amount of money, and um, but then. It just late last year, in December of 2020, Hyundai basically acquired an 80 percent stake of Boston Dynamics from SoftBank. So SoftBank still didn't inc- didn't didn't completely divest themselves. But if clearly, if this if this company was like this, you know, if you, everybody's watching their videos, if this company was so spectacular, they why aren't they raising? Why are they? Why are they not a unicorn? Let me ask you this: Why are they not a five billion dollar unicorn? On their way to an IPO, they're just they they're going between one company to another company, one owner to another company, because I think everybody is struggling with the same problem, which is, what is the market for this? Mm-hmm. Other than being really cool with some great technology, so I don't want to harp on this too much, but I think this is sort of like the the problem and the issue with robotics. And I think I think for those who are interested in it, you really need to focus on like, like what are we going to do that's going to transform some industry, some company. People look at delivery all the time, you know, whether it's drone delivery, robotic delivery. You know, there, there's there's some value there. I mean, especially since everybody is still remote and working from home, but but. Um, there's gotta be something else. I mean it's like it's like where where why do I not have my Rosie robot from the Jetsons? Why why do we why do we not have R2D2 and C3PO running around our 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 buildings, you know, doing useful things. Why am I, why am I still walking into Lowe's after Lowe's invented, invested in Lobot and still talking to people who work at Lowe's? You know, why, why, <laughs> <I> right? <know>. <laughs> <You> <laughs> why know. am I walking into, didn't Walmart <laughs> invest in some robot too? Why am I, where are the robots? Where are the robots? Right. And that's the big question. Where are the robots? I don't know. So anyway, that's, that's, that's kind of it. I don't know, Ron. <laughs> the robots are coming for you. <laughs> that's what they so. always say. Everybody looks <laughs> at these. I mean, this is a bit of a rant, you know, because everybody looks at these Boston Dynamic robots and like, that's cool. And then like, oh, I'm scared. I'm like, what are you scared about? It's like, walk down the street, point out the next robot that you see and, I'll, and I then do. I'll be scared, you know? Right. Anyway.
0: You know, and we had Ben Gertzel on who helped create Sophia Robot with Hanson Robotics, you know, and when you looked at Sophia, I think that they had big, bold goals for her as well. And at the end of the day, she was basically an animatron that was programmed to have witty jokes and smart remarks. But what was her usefulness as well? You know, like, like really, truly, what would a company do with a Sophia Robot? Would she be replacing a receptionist? Would she be... I don't know, another worker. I mean, like, you know, what what actually was her usefulness? So I think that that's, that's what we have to say. And also, we've talked about this before. It takes a lot of money to build robots. So you need that initial uh, startup cost that, you know, that funding that you need as well. Not just anybody can go in and build robots. So those are our 2021 as we look forward into what's coming in this year hopefully it's you know not so scary but uh the year in general but we're looking at you know 2021 and saying this is how where we think that the market is headed these are where we're forecasting for the year to take us so we love to love to make predictions love love to look forward and then at the end of the year we'll reflect back on that and say you know where did the market go because there's some external factors that, have changes and shift the market in ways that we can't, we and nobody can predict. So that's why it's always so fun to look forward and see where the we think this year will take us. Yeah. I also want to
1: point out that, we mentioned this on many of our, of our podcast episodes, we run these online events which are always free to attend. And we encourage you to register for them, even if they've they've passed. You know, sometimes you know we 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 keep them up for maybe longer than we actually say we will, and they have to come down at some point because the the content gets a little obsolete. But you know you should register. You know, go to our next one that's coming up. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, when it's Produced, It'll actually be coming up next week. Uh, that is uh, our Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference, MLLifecycleConf.com, January 26th through 28th. It'll be up and available for several months later on replay. We encourage you to take a look at it. We, we have some really great, uh, interesting people participating. We are looking at doing probably around eight to nine of these events every year. And we really want your participation. And we, we actually see a lot of registrants that are coming to our events that are from you listening to the podcast definitely when you register let us know that you you've heard about it and you know what maybe you have some ideas you know we want to hear from you you know maybe you have some ideas not only for things that we should be talking about at the podcast people we should be interviewing things that we should be looking at on the market or explaining even if we need some explanations but but also you know give us some feedback on what we should be covering in our events because we are looking to to you know, pr- do things that are really pushing this ball forward. We are true believers in what AI machine learning can represent. You know, even though I know we kind of ended the predictions out a bit of a of a, like what's not working. There's a lot working, as we said at the very beginning. We see so much. People are using you know these cognitive systems to do very valuable things, whether it's conversations or recognition or analytics or pattern detection. There's so many good valuable things there. Uh, that focusing on those patterns is really useful. So you know, if you think you know, there's something that we should be focused on, don't be shy. Reach out to us. <laughs> yes, please. You know, please. <laughs> go, you go, if you go to AItoday.live, that's where you'll see all of the episodes as well as the bonus episodes. You can contact us. There's a contact link there. If you want to reach out to us via email, just info i n f o at Cognolytica c o g n i l y t i c a dot com. But we we love to interact with you all, so don't be shy.
0: Yeah, we do. And I know that some of you have reached out. Uh, We can also be reached on LinkedIn as well. So you can find uh, either Kathleen Mulch or Ron Schmelzer. So, you know, we do encourage you to reach out to us. We love to hear from our listeners and we love to hear, you know, what podcasts you like, what areas you'd like us to focus on. And we know that many of you come to our events as well. So thank you for supporting them. And we look forward to seeing, virtually, many of you at the Machine Learning Lifecycle event that's coming up January 26th through 28th, 2021. You can go to mllifecycleconf.com to register and learn more. As always, we have the events up for a few months afterwards. We know that not everybody can consume things live right when it's happening, so we make sure that we have the content available on replay as well. So please do check that out if you're interested in that topic. And listeners, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If so, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including a link to our seven patterns of AI, the machine learning operations, MLOps report and podcast, our data labeling podcast and report as well, and our upcoming conference. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more